may not have a film fixation, but we're here for a noir education. Beebidi-boo, doot-doodle-doo, dee-ba-da-pow. Welcome to A Real Education Noir. This is our inaugural episode. We are a sister podcast to a podcast called A Real Education, shockingly enough. Uh, this is the podcast where we do a deeper dive into, deeper dive. into films noir. <laughs> dive, my Hawkman, dive! <laughs> or, or if we go into the submarine genre, Dive! <laughs> You said sister podcast, and all I could think was, sisters are doing it for themselves. So, dear listeners, my name is Melissa. I am here with my co-hosts. We, we, first, we have Wendy. Hello. And we have Allie. Yo. And so the three of us will be here watching a lot of films noir. So what what we are going to do, we are going to kind of leave the basics to the main Real Education podcast because we have already done episodes about the Maltese Falcon mm-hmm. and Double Indemnity mm-hmm. and uh, there were a couple of other big ones. So we're we're going to go for the ones that are not quite as well known and really it's it's an excuse for us to watch a lot of films noir because yes, films noir are awesome. That's really what's going on. We yeah. wanted to watch these and we needed more of an excuse to schedule this into our calendars. Yeah. And also, you know, it it's not like a really good idea to have a, several women talking about noir. Yeah, really. Yeah. 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 That yeah. is a genre that women should talk about. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there. Oh, yes. So we'll just take a moment, since this is the first episode, we can just do a very general introduction of what noir Mm. is, because it's very vaguely defined in general. So, Mm. I mean, Mm. film noir is mostly agreed to be American films made between 1940 and 1960-ish. It's a genre that did not exist at the time that, that these films were being made. It was kind of the the term film noir was coined in the 60s by a film critic who kind of looked at this body of work by many different American directors and said, oh, there's a certain there's a thing going on here. There there's this class of movies. They were they were called melodramas at the time, but they mostly dealt with crime or, you know, more like the more seedy aspects of life. There's gritty. They're cynical. Uh, women had a very different role in these movies. A lot of times there was, there were sexual themes that were very adult, but Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a lot unifying. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're excited about this, (laughs) but there, there's a lot more outside of that, that a lot of people also consider noir in general. You know, you have movies that came after this era, like Blade Runner, that you know uh-huh. that definitely use noir techniques and and a well, lot of that noir pops up all the time. Well, now. Yeah. Yeah. And and you see it in foreign films that were made during the same period and after. There there were a lot of movies that came before the main noir era, particularly like in Germany, where you could see a lot of those elements starting to pop up. So we're gonna we're going to go into that during this mm. podcast, you know, as, as we go along and, and yeah. watch movies that we really like. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, oh, yeah. So this, we're going to talk about the classics and those, like, purely, truly in the genre. And then we're, we're also going to allow ourselves to branch out into um, 
more modern noir mm -hmm. and other takes on the style. I always love it when you say films noir. It cracks me up. Oh, it's so French. I'm putting the S on this word instead. <laughs> it's so proper. <laughs> <laughs> my films are black like I like my coffee. What? <laughs> anyway, so. So anyway, what we are going to watch this evening, mm. we have not watched it yet. What we're going to do is talk about it a little bit beforehand. Then we're going to go away, stop the recording, go away, watch the movie and come back and talk about it in depth. We are going to start our podcast off with Touch of Evil. <sighs> so. I'm touching you. I'm evil. <laughs> Not bad touch, you. bad touch. Not touching you. I'm not, not touching you. you. Not, not touching you. you. Evil. <laughs> Don't touch it. It's evil. There's so much, so many jokes to make. There, there's All so right. Many so I've yes. seen, this is Wendy, I've seen Touch of Evil, but it's been forever. Uh, mm -hmm. Melissa's seen it, but. I have. I did. <gasps> you did? This is like the only film noir in, in our prospective catalog that I have actually seen in its entirety. Wow. Ten years ago in a film class, I remember that Charlton Heston is in it, and uh, I remember one of the Gabor ladies is in it, <laughs> and Marlena Dietrich, and that's about it. I, okay. remember, I remember enjoying it and going, I don't have to pay attention because I'm going to get an A in this class anyway. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, so we do have a situation where all three of us have seen the movie. Usually... What we're probably going to have is at least one person who hasn't, which which is fun to have a newbie in the audience. But um, but yeah, so it, Ellie has vague recollections of this movie. I have Wendy. to admit, I've seen it once. It yeah. was a while ago. And I remember being bemused by Charlton Heston. And I remember an amazing <laughs> tracking shot. And that's really kind of all I remember. Yeah, bemused is a very good word for that. <laughs> for that, yes. that, is, that is usually what people remember about Touch of Evil. It's like, oh, tracking shot. And then nothing else. Um, it, and it's, it's, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a trunk. There's, there's a, a trunk. There's a trunk. <laughs> there's a car trunk. There's a trunk. There there's is. There is. I remember that. <laughs> See? Ha ha. That totally happened. <laughs> so, so dear listeners, Touch of Evil is a, uh, movie that was directed by Orson Welles. Mm -hmm. Uh, it also features Orson Welles in mm -hmm. one of the main roles, but not the lead. It is, um... A lot of people react to it in the same way of, you know, I probably saw it a long time ago. I remember nothing about it, but except for the tracking shot, because it was, it's a deliberately obtuse movie. It's kind of like the big sleep where the, it, the, the plot is twisty, turny, and it's deliberately unclear. There's a lot of that going on here. So, so did they yeah. call him film noir because... Uh, the plot was often so dark and shadowy and confusing that you felt like you were groping around in a dark basement. That that's part of it. It's also the very shadowy cinematography that also that <laughs> because often a lot comes of film with. a lot of film noir is like the plot is so convoluted that, that you're stumbling in the dark. And yeah. you're just, what I don't what. Everybody's a bad guy. I'm just going to crouch here in the corner. Moral ambivalence. Yeah. Yes, very much so. <laughs> but it, but it's all the the cin the cinematography tends to have that hallmark of the mm. the really dark shadowy mm. uh, images that also come across in a lot of these films mm. because of German expressionism. Here I am nodding because yep. it's yep. great radio. Yep. <laughs> Germans, Germans, man, Germans. 
So shall we go watch this movie <laughs> and, uh, you know, discuss it yes. in depth and perhaps order a pizza? Yes! Pizza All right. time! Because pizza goes great with noir. Hey! Uh, so dear listeners, we will be back in a moment. All right. So that was Touch of Evil. Yeah. There was a lot of evil. There was a lot of I would, evil. I'm sorry, touch? There, there, there was a lot there, of evil. Yeah. There was, there was, yeah, there there wasn't as much touching as I expected there to be. <laughs> like, touch a lot of, of evil, evil, but not a lot of touching. Touch of evil to me implies, in cooking terms, sort of a pinch, a pinch a, of salt. And I'm like, no, this is A really, dash you know, of evil. Yeah, yeah, this is like really like a gallon, a gallon of evil, right? Yeah. This this is like fold the evil in. Yeah. Just <laughs> liberally with a little bit more evil. <laughs> So uh, much evil. So much evil. <laughs> so much evil. As I, as I recall, um, well, one of the very famous things about this movie is that uh, it was taken away from director Orson Welles. Yeah. He finished the shoot in like 39 days, under a million dollars, and then pretty much immediately had to go to his next movie, which was Don Quixote, which is a very famous film for not ever being made. Yeah. Because it just cut, completely fell apart. But, you know, once... Orson Welles left the country, um, I believe it was Universal, took Touch of Evil and completely recut it without, uh, you know, Welles' input and also named it Touch of Evil. And for a long time, Welles just hated the title as well as how it was cut together. Do we know what the original title was? I don't recall, but um, when Welles was put on the project, initially it was only as an actor. Um, you know that you know that bit in the movie Ed Wood where you know Johnny Depp playing Ed Wood finds uh, Orson Welles in a bar and he starts talking to him and Welles goes, "They want to cast me, uh, they want to cast uh, Charlton Heston as a Mexican." That whole thing that 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 is a rest that that is a reference to this movie. But what's incorrect about that whole dialogue in Ed Wood is that. Um, you know, Wells was only an actor and it was Charlton Heston who wanted, who signed on to the project, understanding that Wells would direct. And when he found out that Wells wasn't directing, he said, why the hell isn't uh, he directing? Why would you not have Orson Wells direct? Yeah. So it was because of Heston that Wells was directing in the first place. Ah. So, and the, the studio said, fine, but only if Wells will only take the pay as an actor. So Jesus he was only fucking crying. Oh, he was yeah. screwed over so hard. So yeah, yeah. Oh, so... you artists, we hate you. Fuck. Ah. Yeah. So with your artistic vision and your needs. But you know, in order to to direct, basically, Wells went. Well, I'm going to rewrite the thing and then direct it. And this is this is my baby. And then you know, kind of as a fuck you when he left the country to do Don Quixote, Universal took it back and just recut the thing however they wanted. Now, what you're seeing when you see Touch of Evil today is a restoration that happened in 1998. Um, what it Which ha- is their best guess of what Orson Welles wanted, based well, on, but it's based on a 56-page memo, yeah. which seems like Orson Welles was pretty clear about what he wanted. Oh, and yeah. in this shot, I wanted to hear oh, for three seconds. I've seen the memo. It is incredibly <laughs> detailed. <laughs> No, yeah, Orson Welles typed out this 58-page memo and sent it to Universal. These are my instructions. And, um, of course, Universal didn't follow it. But um, what happened was somehow it got into the hands of Charlton Heston, and Heston kept it. 
all those years oh, and when that's w- so sweet yeah in a strange in, sort of way yeah and yeah. in the 90s when they decided to restore touch of evil um walter merch uh the the editor who is the same editor who did the godfather and english patient and the conversation like one of the legendary editors of today um he they they located this memo and he pretty much worked verbatim from this memo and nice. it, it, it was literally right down to like the details of sound design like down to when they're walking past the shops in the long tracking shot in the beginning the the uh music should fade in from this shop and then fade out as they pass and then the next one it fades in and fades out very very detailed nice yeah okay so yeah. If you hadn't figured it out, dear listeners, Charlton Heston is playing a Mexican. Yes. That happened. Yeah. And then and that sort of thing happened a lot in this era because, you know, everybody was white, apparently. Or, that would you know, never happen now. Uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> we never do. Oh, wait. Yes. No, that's right. We just that. had an all white version mm. of Exodus, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that all that also are, happened. All those blue eyed Egyptians and, and Jews. Yeah. Yep, that yep, just happened. Yep. Yep. That um, happened so much. Oh, but, and what I love is that. At least they put him in some bronzer to make him look kind yeah, of Latino. Yeah, but that's, that's actually the problem, is that Latinos aren't actually that much darker. Christina <laughs> Aguilera looks like me, and she's mm. Hispanic. She's Latina. And it's like, what? Why oh, Why is he so dark? It, because because, because they wouldn't know he was Mexican if he were as white as he normally is. <laughs> well, and there, there are issues there of, are you, well, are you from the... Are you Mexican and your genealogy traces from the the Mexican Indians, mm-hmm. you know, the Incas, the Mayans, etc.? Are you Mexican and your ancestry traces from the Spanish invaders and conquistadors, right? Because you, you, there are darker skinned Mexicans and lighter mm-hmm. skinned. But the point is that if you're Mexican, that doesn't automatically make you brown. <laughs> And they made him really, really, brown. really brown. Like they're at the point where Janet Lee starts nuzzling up against him, I expected to see some makeup rub off on her face. And she like wrapped her arms around him. I'm like, that's going to get on your sweater, honey. Oh, yeah. 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 It. Um, I, I love that he's darker from some of the actual people of color in the movie, like uh, the Arab guy who's playing yeah, one of the other Latinos. Yeah. He's, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Arab guy looks ethnic. And yet, funnily enough, he doesn't look like he spent a month in a tanning booth yeah. like Charlton Heston does. <laughs> well, you know, I always thought Heston looked kind of leathery, you know, even without makeup. But anyway. He also has know. the most amazingly clear Engl- American accent for any raised, born and raised in Mexico, that well, I've, you know, border town. <laughs> no, I don't. I but he's from he's from Mexico City. I don't know why they're in the border town. I don't know. It's very unclear. It's Reasons. very convoluted plot. Reasons. It's a very convoluted plot, and that's that's fine. I am okay. Let's talk about the women in this movie for a second, because mm-hmm. there's some fucked up shit that goes on. First off, Janet Lee is his wife. And she seems pretty sassy and on the ball at the beginning, right? right? They they're like, you need you. We have a message for your husband. You need to come with us. These strange men, these hoodlums who accost her in the middle of the street. And she's like, sure, I'll go with you. What do I got to lose? Ha, huh, that's funny. I got a lot to lose, but I'll go with you anyway. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the sense she's a little on the naive side, but also there there are some blind spots in the script. Well, my yes. husband's so powerful, you couldn't possibly yeah. threaten me. You can scare me, but you can't scare him. Like, 
Okay. I like that she's so bold. And then like when they're doing the flashlight thing, which is very, what, just harassment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she takes out the light bulb and throws him. I'm like, okay, she's got some sass. I like that. And yet you're still stuck in this time period where it's like, well, I'll show you. I'll sick my husband on you. Because yep. he's powerful and he'll protect me. Ugh. You'll be sorry. <laughs> you, my husband's very large and very brown. Very. <laughs> I'm still very impressed about her her aim there with throwing the light bulb yes. across the street. She, she had a good arm. arm. Damn. Yeah. Hot damn. Yeah. yeah I also, I was impressed because she unscrewed that thing with her bare yeah, fingers. That's and the light bulbs get fucking hot. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, she but, but, clearly she but, is a badass, a closet badass, but yeah. But but then she doesn't take the gun out of the briefcase no. when, to defend herself. When Her husband is like, "I know there are fine. people coming. Here's a gun, just in case. Not that you'd need it. Psst, honey, they're gonna come in and drug you and do bad things to you. So make sure you stay in the room. By the way, they have the master key. So just stay there." Don't get the gun ready and make sure you just sort of gape at them when they finally come in. What? And and just get on the bed and wait for them to take you. Just do that. Just don't fight. Just don't just... don't hide in another hotel no, room. My don't God. don't go get Dennis Weaver though. I mean, really, he's he's yeah. kind of creepy himself. But yeah, don't put on but... your clothes and fucking go. Yeah, yeah, yeah run out into the so desert. So maybe and... climb out the window twenty minutes before they showed up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know you're in the middle of nowhere, but I would rather take my chances like running. Yeah, so that was really like, really, you couldn't just grab the gun. Chances are she still wouldn't have been successful, but she might have killed one and that would have been satisfying. Yeah. So drawing blood would have would have made me feel better. And then and then like the Hayes Code, because we need to talk about the Hayes Code Mm -hmm. when we're going to talk about this. Although they they got a lot of leeway from the Hayes Code in, in that, you know, they were discussing drugs and... Yeah, but very much in a bad way. Oh yes, very much so. Let's 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 discuss the Hayes Code as let's let's lay that. What was that exactly for someone who is not maybe as well versed? Okay, like me, the Hayes Code uh, was started in the early 1930s. Uh, It was uh, an American, um, basically an American office that looked at the content of studio produced movies and said this is okay this is not okay it was basically the pre-rating system rating system uh-huh. it, but it was either on or off you know you you get a pass you don't um there there were a lot of things like uh you know women and men could not be shown sleeping in the same bed which is why you had um, married couples sleeping in twin beds mm-hmm. With a bed st- bed stand between them, it's yes. like yeah. it's like oh honey, I love you so much. Now let's sleep in separate beds because that's what husbands and wives do. Well, that's also what royalty did, but <laughs> it, well, that that's not a subject for now. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure royalty did do the deed at some point. Well, yeah, since there were they, generations, of but them. they had separate bedrooms because they had the luxury of doing so. Yeah, but Assholes. anyway. Anyway, you know, you couldn't really show drug use. You couldn't, you know, so show homosexuality. You couldn't show this, that, or any of the other. You thing. couldn't show. You could not show bad people getting away with it. You could not show bad people getting away with it. Yeah. So that I'm, very I'm presuming important. that all of the, the the drug stuff and other unsavory elements of this movie were they got them. What there was left after the studio cut it down mm-hmm. um, 
got by because everybody got their comeuppance at the end. Uh, whereas I, I'm not as familiar with what the studio cut was. I'm willing to bet that the cut we saw tonight, the 1998 restoration included a lot more of that content than was originally released. Oh, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and that's interesting because with the Hayes Code saying you, the bad people can't get away with it and you have directors clearly wanting to show the more ugly side of life, you end up with, ironically, a more cynical view of life of fine, they're going to they're gonna get their come up, comeuppance and yet I'm going to make sure the audience still feels like it was all pointless. Mm-hmm. It's all pointless. Yeah, the bad guys got caught, but it's kind of a Pyrrhic victory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So because of the Hayes Code, there. <laughs> let's start with the rape that's apparently not a rape, except it is a rape. Because they, he's like, grab her legs. And yeah. then they're doing... And, and Mercedes McCambridge in like a three-second role coming in with the super butch haircut that Orson Welles did himself. It's like, can you come in and do this role? She goes, sure. And he cuts her hair and he says, I like to watch. And then that's yep. all you see of Mercedes McCambridge. Um, um, she's like, they're like, you go, you want to get out of here? No, I want to watch. And then later they're trying, they say these lines like, oh no, we just made her, we made sure she passed out and she'll just, she won't know what happened. But maybe they're referring to in the hotel room. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm presuming that was, that line in the script was a dodge. Yeah, it's a yeah. dodge of, oh, it's like, nothing bad actually happened to her except something bad totally did happen to yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. So heavily imply what actually happened and then, you know, what but happened. Then, yes. Yeah. Say, oh, oh, no, that didn't happen. No, nothing really happened. It's all a setup. Wink, nudge. Because we all know what really happened there. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we were laughing about the... Because <laughs> the drug that is going to make them all crazy and they're, they're <laughs> narcotics users <laughs> yes. is Mary Jane. Marijuana. Marijuana. You know about marijuana, don't you? <laughs> and it's just, and I'm, it's just like, oh, it's gonna make you crazy. And we forget what they thought about pot at the time. Yes, the, well, Alice, yes. like, oh yeah, that's right. They thought that like it was it, it made would you, you really strong. You could kill a bull. And my response was, well, no, you'd eat the bull because <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh, pot. I am gonna, I'm gonna get some I'm snacks. Eat all of these chips. Every last chip. <laughs> Look, I'm going to beat you up with my reefer madness just as soon as I'm done with these brownies. And take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Although something else about the script. Um, Orson Welles based a lot of the drug inferences from his own experience with with drugs. And um, it, as I understand it, he couldn't really get away with talking about heroin. Ah. So... Because they did talk yeah. about hypodermic needles. They talked about tracks on the arm. Yeah. But then all and the drugs. they said heroin was present at the scene. But then, yeah. yeah but the only, they blamed it all on, on and the then, And line then line the that. drug lord yeah. is like, you didn't use this stuff, did you? No, because our people stay clean. We just deal it. And I'm like, yeah, because you wouldn't mm-hmm. want your drug dealers smoking pot. <laughs> Because they might chill out and forget to do their job. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll dude. sell some to you later. Come on, let's just let's just share this one for now. <laughs> let's listen to this jazz music. Oh, this jazz. Bad. Oh, you know we're you know we're bad people because we're listening to jazz. Yeah, jazz is evil. 
Jesse. Okay, but that that one dude that was bouncing all around, he was on something. Oh, yeah. He, <laughs> oh, he was. Oh, man, oh, that kid. Was. It's like, well, did they, did they have meth way back then? I feel like maybe <laughs> I mean, some sort of meth precursor. Yeah. Or perhaps just Mountain Dew. So do for Mexico with real sugar. <laughs> so there's Janet Lee, there's Jaja Jagabor, Jaja who's in it for like three seconds and, and it's major billing. Major and billing. Is, oddly, one of the things I remembered the best about <laughs> having seen this ten years ago. She literally walks down the stairs in a stunning dress. N- yes. It is very and she says, I don't know. She's only worked here a little while. And it does a little like I'm Jaja Gabor, and she walks off screen, and she walks out of the picture. As it turns out, yep. yes, you don't see her again. Yes. <laughs> so there's Jaja Gabor, great dress. There's <laughs> there's Marlena Dietrich. Well, we talked about Mercedes. Well, and, yeah, and that she shows up briefly and does yeah. something kind of creepy. No, I want to watch. And then there's Marlena oh, Dietrich. Oh, before we get to Marlena Dietrich, also Joseph Cotton shows up for three lines. What, yes, yeah, yes, wait, yes. where was he? Yeah, he was he was um, at the very end. He right? was at the very end. He has three lines and walks away. He was yeah. Where yeah, was he? I didn't yeah, see that because I know that he's fast. out there in a brief thing. But yeah, he was say. talking to the cops and yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah and then like, there's oh, and and that was Joseph Cotton. Thank you, so ladies and basically gentlemen. Basically, there are two females. There's Janet Lee and Marlena Dietrich. Marlena Dietrich and Marlena Dietrich plays. A gypsy woman named Tanner, or is she Hispanic? Or is I, it, think, yeah, I think her name is actually Tanya, according to Wikipedia. But they say it's yes, because I I I, I swear to God in IMDb um, she, she, she is, is credited is as Tanner. Uh, I I believe it. I I believe you absolutely. She her her ethnicity is brown hair. Yes, well, well, brown hair and accented and yes. lots lots according, of eye makeup. Touch. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, I no, I believe you there. Yeah. Let's see. She makes chili. She makes chili and she tells fortunes, but mm-hmm. only when they're not closed. Oh, and, yeah. d- let's and not she has a player piano. Dennis, Dennis Weaver. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, d- oh, no, oh, but it is Tanya. But it sounds like they're saying Tanner. Every time. Yep, Tanya. Mm, whatever. And she makes chili. She's got a player piano. and But she's got cards because he's like, read my fortune. She's like, you don't have future. a future. You don't have a future. Your future has run out. <laughs> and then. That was very Pella Lugosi of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then she. And then she. <laughs> For some reason, comes running out to see the denouement, just so she can be there when he dies. And oh, what kind of a man was he? Or what was the line? No, no, no. <laughs> some kind of man. He he, he was, was some, some kind, kind of, of a man. man. <laughs> what does it matter what we say about him? <laughs> Goodbye, Tanner. Adios. 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 <laughs> and she walks into the shadows. And that's how the film ends. And that's my favorite part of the film. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Oh, and so many with the oil wells, which the way oh, they're yeah. shot and especially that closing shot yes. is just so bleak. It's it's both visually bleak, but also it's such a great comment on this is progress, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's progress and money in the midst of all this filth and corruption. And, and you know, not just the literal trash that you see Everywhere. Especially during the closing scenes, but you know, of course, the corruption within the police department, as portrayed by Orson Welles. And there's a beautiful shot where he's got his partner's blood on his hand, and he runs down to the absolutely filthy water to wash it off. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, oh, yeah, I get yeah. the metaphor that, nicely that done. Symbolism, very good, yeah, Orson. Beautiful, very good. beautiful. Yeah. Oh boy, how great is 
the shooting of this movie, the the cinematography of this movie is just astounding. I found myself captivated by some of the close-ups oh, and the yeah. choices for close-up, like uncomfortable moments. Like I want to, I want you to be right there to see what's going on with this character or that this character is being put on the spot. So I'm going to go close up on them. Mm-hmm. And the God, the prosthetics on Orson were amazing looking. Cause I'm like, I know that's, his face is enhanced, but I can't see. Yeah, his nose was enhanced and he actually was wearing, you know, extra poundage on him to make him look even fatter and more unsavory. And, and so sweaty. And he was and he was deliberately having shooting himself like with these these shots from like ground level so he looks even bigger. Yeah. And and just imposing and powerful and i mean you see the same tricks when he was doing citizen kane uh, but it like i really feel like he even like camera. looked for small chairs so when he took a chair he just like enveloped it like yeah yeah i'm gonna overflow this but beyond that his 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 performance it's like he's in a different movie from everybody yes. else he's he's going full brando on this thing because he <laughs> he has this really naturalistic delivery like he's he's interrupting people he's mumbling he's yeah, uh, you, yeah. he's almost jarring in just oh, how yeah. much he differs from the, which is beautiful it really because then there's Charlton that. Heston who delivers every line crisply mm-hmm. and cleanly. God, man, don't you see? And, he, and then you got Orson Welles and I'm just sitting there going, God, I'm half deaf. Would you enunciate? <laughs> okay, that made sense. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I, don't even, uh, I got the gist of it. <laughs> I'm drunk too, so now it's going to get worse. <laughs> exactly. I don't yeah. drink. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, Better make it yeah. two double bourbons. Make them really big. <laughs> and I mean, in some of the famous shots, like the deep focus you see and the angles like of people appearing through doorways or people in reflections mm-hmm. as as shots are composed. Just It's so beautifully shot. It's such a pretty... It's Yeah, it's well, oddly it, pretty. Yeah, it, it's pretty without being pretty. You know, yes. it, it's, yeah. it, it's this very deliberately composed movie it, it it's it's just wonderful to watch it's, it, i mean if you if you've watched it a couple times and all you do is pay attention to how it's shot like how how often the camera is moving and and how everything is placed so like you have these characters in the foreground and you have one little character framed in the background and there's something going on back there too mm-hmm. the yeah and just it crane shots and of course the famous tracking shot in in the opening where you know you start with the bomb being placed and the sweeping camera move up in a crane and then following the couple down the street and the woman driving by i hear a ticking and you know <laughs> eventually the the car blowing up and and that's where the first cut of the movie is and it's it's that illustration of the hitchcockian principle of you show the bomb and where it is and then you make the audience wait and apparently with that that particular shot they they worked on that for like an entire night because the customs officer, the guy playing the customs officer, kept blowing his line. <laughs> oh my god! And you'd get all the way to the end, yeah. and he'd fuck up, and he oh. fucks up. And and eventually, the very like dawn is breaking. <laughs> this was like the last chance they could get the shot, and he makes it. So. Oh my yeah. god, that guy. Yeah, that's how they got it. It's like I either want to buy you a drink or smack you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> 
So why not both? Okay, so talk to us about why Marlena Dietrich was in this film because she she did it as a favor to Orson, and um, she even took union minimum wage to do the role. Um, the studio didn't even know she was in it. He basically snuck her in, which which was interesting because once the studio found out she was in the movie, they wanted to give her billing, which means they had to pay her more money <laughs> to credit her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ah, yeah. And they, uh, having seen the trailer, oh, they built her. Oh, they, they built her big time. Because <laughs> it's Marlena Dietrich. Yes. Of course, you're going to use that, you know, even though she's in four scenes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but she's... She's pivotal. She is. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, she, not pivotal to the plot, but pivotal to the character and the yes. tone. Oh, yeah. She's very, she's quite important for being a, a small character. So how great is Dennis Weaver? <laughs> oh my goodness! So Den- Dennis Weaver playing the 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 bizarre nightman, but I... nightman at the hotel. <laughs> they oh got another goodness. thing coming because yeah. I'm just the nightman. I'm man. just the night. I'm not helping you make this bed. I I want to know what exactly his job is because it apparently isn't anything. Because uh, yeah. he's like, that's not my job. That's not my job. I'm the nightman. That's not what I do. That's not my job. You got another thing coming. I'm like, what exactly is it that you do do? I, I I think he's I think not quite he all there. Sits and eats his lunch. Yeah, he he has a set way of the world. He might be a little autistic. That that's my sense. Yeah, he, he has some. He, he has yeah. He's not quite. Well, normal. yeah, but I found myself wondering, like, how much of that was in the script, and how much of that was just that one. I don't know. Like um, he and Orson playing around, and how much was just like. Yeah, no, I like these choices. Yeah, go I, there. I seem to vaguely remember it's just Dennis Weaver set free. Um, Dennis, Dennis Weaver being an actor who is very well known for Gunsmoke. And if you're a Steven Spielberg fan, he was in Duel, which was Spielberg's yeah. first uh, film. But uh, yeah, he playing a very atypical <laughs> role he's here. He's creepy with eyes yeah. and the lurking and the yes. twitching and the... And he knows that these are the Grandy boys and that they're bad. Mm -hmm. He knows that the whole motel is owned by Grandy. And yet some of his reactions are just like, what? He's just kind of twitchy. And he kind of goes, he kind of goes from, ooh, you guys are here and I'm I'm a little nervous about this and I'm not sure how to react to deciding, you know what, I'm just going to be complicit in this and I'm just not going to say anything Mm -hmm. until push comes to shove. And then he's like, yeah, okay, maybe cabin seven is where your wife was at. Mm -hmm. There was, there was maybe a party. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, An interesting side note. I, I've always heard that Dennis Weaver's role in this film was kind of a spark that set off Norman Bates. This uh-huh. is like an origin role for well, that would make setting sense. Setting up yeah. Psycho, yeah. and and he's the night Anthony watchman at a motel. Yep. I very was twitchy, say very lurking around the edges, watching. Mm-hmm. What? What? But. Who and you can, f- can t- kind of tell he's a little off. There's yeah. not, something not quite right with that character. Whereas, you know, in this movie, he's mostly benign. Yes. You know, just just kind of passive. Uh, that's not quite true of Norman Bates. Was this really a thing that they had motels that would pipe in music that you had no ability to turn Probably. off? Because that just seems oh, yeah. like 
That just seems like torture. That That's just not a good idea. <laughs> Somebody thought it would be the new thing, I'm sure, and that it would be great. I've seen some really bizarre things in old wayside <laughs> hotels like that. I bet it you just... have. <laughs> really? That's what you decided to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe they would turn it on so you couldn't hear each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, maybe that with those be. paper thin walls. Uh, we have a newlywed couple input on the music. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, so that's Touch of Evil. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that will leave you, uh, like a lot of noirs, just doubting your faith in humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the protagonist either, is either the bad person who fails to achieve their goals, or it's a good person who has become so besmirched by the corruption that they have bathed in for the length of the movie, that they have no way to look at their world in the same way. They're mm-hmm. just, their world is completely changed. They're like, I can't, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. And that would be Charlton Heston in this movie. Yep. Like, oh my God, this, nothing but filth. Nothing but filth. <laughs> BT dubs Charlton, I'm pretty sure your wife needs some counseling. Yes. Yeah, probably. Yep. Not that they really had much of that back then. <sighs> so do we have any final thoughts about touch of evil it happened so much <laughs> oh, yeah. there was so much <laughs> okay it it's a classic for a reason yes the, because the construction of the film is top notch mm-hmm. the plot is you know a perfect example of the genre right mm-hmm. um and of course it's got great performances throughout um i liked his buddy al or hal i liked him a lot the one who was helping him yes um I feel like if you're going to watch noir, you need to you need to watch this to understand what it was. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, this coming on kind of the tail end of the noir era. It, it's kind of a summa- really interesting summation of what noir had. Become. And, you know, Orson Welles had such a great visual style that for him to play in that noir field with all those shadows and interesting with all of his other tricks that he liked to play, it's just beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What's not, well, there's, you know, I'd say what's not to like. <laughs> well, well yeah. except there's a lot not to like, but it's still a it, great. It, you're meant, you're meant kind of not to like You're it. meant to yeah. not like it. Yeah. <laughs> As I said in the intro, this is a, this is a film meant to infuriate. In, yes. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Allie, any final thoughts? Uh, it was so pretty. It was a lot prettier <laughs> than I remembered it being, you know, in that gritty way that it is. And. I'm really glad that I did watch it again because I got so much more out of it now than I did the first time. Now that I have more capacity to follow those twists and turns. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah. it's better, definitely better on the second time through just because yes. you kind of know what to, you, yeah. what you're in for and yes. you know what to look for. I remember spending a lot of time going, what the hell is happening? My first watch it, watch through it. <laughs> and now I was just like, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm following this and not happy about hardly any of it, but I, I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for me, I did have one final historical note. This was, this movie was submitted without Wells's permission to the 1958 world's fair. they were going to show this to people as a light entertainment at the fair well not necessarily light entertainment there was like a film showcase and Universal submitted it to the 1958 World's Fair and on the jury was uh, Jean-Luc Godard oh my god and Francois Truffaut and the the film took the top prize at the World's Fair and within one year Godard made Breathless Uh and Truffaut made The 400 Blows 
So basically, this is the film that sparked like a new wave uh, yeah. set of films in France. They so. went, holy shit, let's do that. We can do something with this. <laughs> I am feeling inspired. We <laughs> And we How does a Frenchman express his excitement? We oui, we oui. we oui, we oui. <laughs> And so, dear listeners, this was <laughs> a real education. Touch of evil. It's a real education noir. We will see you in a couple weeks with our next film. We we haha. We hope you enjoy our film fixation. We'll see you next time on a noir education. Do 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 do